Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, welcome to this week's episode of the Mum and Mama podcast, brought to you by the wonderful Golding Accountancy. If you need an accountant, we are golding.com. Hi, how are you? Um, my name is Amy, I'm a single parent, and I started this podcast because I wanted to be a positive light in the world of single parenting because it's not always the worst thing in the world. So I started this podcast um, talking about my experiences, but it's kind of evolved into me just chatting to people that I really like (laughs) and finding out about them. And the person that I really like that I've got to talk to this week is the lovely Musa Okwanga. Um, If you don't know who Musa is, then Google him because he's a lot. I met him when he was um, in a poet, being a poet. Um, performing uh, alongside the likes of Scroobius Pip Um, and he's he's probably the most well-spoken person I've ever met in my entire life and educated he went to Eton um, and he's not intimidating because he's wicked but I do just sit and listen to him and think, God, it must be so amazing to speak so well. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he tells me, I've got him on to talk about all his life. I mean, to be honest, he is on Scroobius Pips podcast as well. And I'd recommend listening to that because they get a bit more into his personal life, which is fascinating. I mean, I could sit and talk to Musa for hours and still not learn everything there is to know about him. But he's got um, a book that's coming out very soon with Ian Wright. Um, that we spoke about and also his other book in the end it was all about love which I still haven't read because I'm a terrible person but it, that came out um, this year and it's got amazing um, reviews so yeah so I just got him on to talk to catch up he lives in Berlin now unfortunately all the uh, juicy details I had to cut out <laughs> but yeah um, and if so if this is your first time listening to the podcast then please check out the other episodes I've had some really amazing people on it's not just about parenting I had um, Funk Butcher and Marcus Bronzy on talking about um, their award winning episode of How to Kill an Hour about Black Lives Matters their experiences in the entertainment industry as black men I've had Kelly LaRock on I've had Angela Hunt on who wrote New York, New York State of Mind Gail Porter 
I've had the two girls, one shop girls on talking about working in the sex shop. Loads, loads, there's loads. But yeah, check them out. And apologise, apologise, apologies if I'm a bit rambly. I've just been in hospital, which I spoke about all all about on last week's episode about endometriosis with Scroopius Pip. Um, and I'm still not very well and on drugs. So I am a bit rambly and I am very sorry. But yeah, enjoy and I'll see you in a bit. Work. Work. All good. Antihistamine number two. That's gonna <laughs> that's gonna knock me out later. That's... Do they make you feel tired? Uh, they're meant to, but the good thing is it's so hot in Berlin at the moment. It's actually a very good thing to be inside at this time of the day. Okay. I'm not one of those believers who's like, yeah, it's hot. Go outside because it's like it's like 33, 34 degrees. So. Oh wow, that is hot. And it will be that for the next four days in a row. It's really, wow. really important to pace yourself, like, yeah. and not, not be outside for extended periods because it just saps all your, like, it dehydrates you like nothing else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. A lot of my friends, so, yeah, so carry on, carry on, carry on, go. Oh, no, I was to say, I should introduce you, really, but there's so many things you do, because you, well, I met you because you were a poet and performer. Yeah, yeah. You're a musician. Yeah. You're a writer. Yeah. Published author. Yeah, yeah. Podcaster. <laughs> I am, yeah. <laughs> and also, I think you are officially the most educated person that I know and have the nicest speaking voice. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the most important, Musa. Yeah, and that, <laughs> the sad thing is in the UK, that is the most important thing, isn't it? Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Some yeah. of those chances, some of the chances running the country, like... They're only well, there. They're only there because they sound a certain way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is nothing like the majority of the population. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Grim, grim. But anyway, anyway. Yeah. So, Mr. Musa Rockwanga. Yes, yes. Great to see That's you so again. Nice. It is so oh. nice to see you. So you are in sunny Berlin. Yes, yes. I'm. In I sunny can't Berlin. believe you've been there for seven years. That's crazy. October 2014 is when I came here. Wow. It's wild. So, what? took you to berlin uh i was where were you living in london because you're are you camden no i was in essex oh were you i was in Goodmaze. oh really right next to ilford yeah i was right there i was further i was further in, i was further into essex than you <laughs> oh god <laughs> oh so i now understand why you went to berlin <laughs> <laughs> i mean ilford to berlin is not i mean it's not that common. You wouldn't really get. You wouldn't do the other direction, to be honest. But um, no, I had I had a good time in Goodmaze. I was there for two years. Um, yeah. And it was, you know, the rent was like it was like four fifty a month. It was completely affordable. Yeah. Allowed me to work my political writing and stuff and my football stuff. So that was like 2013, 2014. And so the turning point for me, I went to. Um, there's a couple of things that happened. So I went to Brazil to do a documentary for the BBC World Service, and. The documentary went really well, but the thing was, I was like, Amy, I got the paycheck, and I was like, this is not a sustainable thing to be doing. Like, yeah. like I don't want to get a broadcast career, because unless you're like, you've got a job at the BBC, you don't earn money that makes you a mortgage, right? Yeah, and yeah. it's kind of yeah. a road to nowhere, and you don't realise that, but I did a really high-profile documentary. It was like, a quarter, is that the audience, a potential audience of like, you know, 200 and something million listeners, because it's like the BBC World Service on their main, wow. it, was their, it was their main documentary, but then, I what was it about? It was about football. It's about the World Cup in Brazil. 
Okay. It's like as a you know they, we gave us a really good budget, but I was like, yeah. When you got the paycheck, I was like, hang on a minute, we've just done an outstanding piece of work, BBC, and we've been paid hardly anything. Yeah. And I was like, this is not sustainable. And I was looking around like all the stuff that I did, and I'm like, these are not sustainable things. Yeah. And then I almost then I and it was a weird thing because while I was considering all of that, having a, a bit of a career moment. I was traveling a lot that year doing like consulting work considering if I'd do more like PR consulting because that was a side that I do and you know there's there's more money in that and it, you know it's well paid yeah. obviously and it's and I've been doing quite a bit of that work in places like Sweden so I was considering like, I, was, I was getting a bit sick of the UK and I was like I might just leave yeah especially when being out of the UK that long and looking at the media when you're away from the UK you read the press and it's like they, yeah. they re- I said to my mum they really hate immigrants yeah why are we still there like the way they talk about yeah. us like they don't like they hate us i might just leave yeah so i quietly decided to leave and i had a chat with a mate over over lunch in i was having dinner in brazil and i said i'm thinking of leaving the uk um maybe amsterdam maybe stockholm and he said why not berlin yeah because berlin's got all of the things that those cities have and a bit more and that was it i left um as soon as i came back from the world cup in 2014 within six weeks of that conversation i was flat hunting in Bra- in um, in uh, berlin and i found yeah. a, i found a place wow almost as so soon as i got yeah yeah you did you know anyone there uh i knew like i knew three people okay vaguely and two of them had left within six months so i basically didn't really know anyone like yeah wow and how have you found meeting people and making a life there oh it's been an amazing experience so the way i did it was i had two rules the first was don't be desperate to make new friends you know you go to uni or whatever anyone that goes to uni yeah. or whatever, been to college like if you're too desperate to make friends then that's how your friendships will develop from a place of desperation yes so my first yep. thing was go to the bars clubs exhibitions but like just go and have a good time and come back and don't take anyone's number or anyone's facebook just like go and do your thing for the first couple of months yeah and after a while, people are like, oh, I've seen that guy around. So people start approaching you like, oh, then like you make, you make friends that way. So it's much more yeah. unforced. And the second, so just stand back a bit. So that, that really was effective. And the second thing I did was um, when I was on Twitter, I looked at anyone, if I saw anyone who lived in, I changed my geography to Berlin. If I saw anyone yeah. who lived in Berlin, who looked interesting, I was like, I've just moved here. Do you want to go have a coffee and talk about work? And I made some of my oldest and best friends doing that. Oh. Like it was a yeah because you kind of like I like their vibe I like what they're talking about their art whatever yeah. so one of the guys uh, shout out to Paul Paul French um, I was like Paul um, I love the work you're doing with his publishing do you want to grab a coffee grabbed a coffee he's a massive football fan and watching football together and after a couple of months of watching football together he was like do you want to come and like try out for my football team oh wow so I tried out for them and my mate the captain was like is your mate any good at football and they were like I don't know but he talk, he talks a good game. <laughs> But it was, it was fun. I, I played well enough. I got in and I ended up playing for them for like three years. Oh, brilliant. So, and now they're like, the guys in that team. So one of the guys I met on that team got married a couple of years ago and I was, I officiated the wedding. Oh. So like, it just developed from that. Like, just go out yeah. there and make an effort. Yeah, yeah. It really worked. Oh, lovely. It was lovely. Oh, that's good. I'm really happy that you're settled and it's nice. It's wonderful, yeah. I've just made incredible yeah. friends. Uh, great And people. the thing is, the job you do, you can do anywhere, can't you? Exactly. This kit, honestly, I went, we recorded a um, podcast. So between the lo- two lockdowns and the pandemic, there was that gap in sort of like summer, autumn last year, right? Yeah. I had a bit of work in Holland. And so 
I said to Ryan, who did a podcast with, shout out to Ryan, amazing guy. Um, I'll be in Holland. Is it okay to like do it there? He goes, yeah, I just took the kit in my carry bag. And yeah. this, that was my office. My office yeah. is basically my laptop and my, my sound kit. That's it. Yeah. Easy, easy. Anywhere in the world can broadcast. Yeah. My a lady that I work for lives in Greece and she has a lot of animals. So when she, she's Australian by birth. So when she goes back to Australia, she gets people to come and live in her house yeah. that can look after the animals. And she had a couple come and live there and they don't have a base anywhere because oh they both work online. They literally spend their whole life just traveling around the world, yeah. living wherever because they can work wherever and they just look after people's houses for them. Oh my goodness. And I was like, what an amazing way to live. Yeah. And you save a lot of money. You get to see the whole world. Exactly. You get paid for living. I mean, I don't know. Actually, I don't know if they do get paid to stay there or that's part of... They must get something, mustn't they? Yeah. But anyway, um, I was like, that's amazing. Like, if, if you don't have any ties or responsibilities anywhere... It's incredible, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's funny, though. The one thing I will say about that life is it is so rare to find someone on the same page. Yes, uh, Because yeah. some people, you know, they want to settle down or at least stay somewhere. Like, you might, you, yeah. you, you go to ones... It, it's very much... You go to one city together, let's say you go to like someone like Valencia, and one of you is like, I, I really love Valencia. I want to like hang around. Because you can fall for a place, you can fall for a city. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we need to move on again. It's like, actually, no, every six months, this is what we agreed to. And it's like, actually, I kind of. So there's that, that tension of. And also finding somebody, there's that tension of like, obviously, who wants to kind of move all the time. And also finding someone who's that free yeah you know like you because you know those that is not a conventional life even by the standards yeah. of berlin that's not good and berlin is you know you see all types of relationships here queer yeah. open relationships multiple partners you, you see it all here because berlin people are kind of it's the place where people who are unashamed of themselves come to make their lives yeah i mean that's another story but this city is honestly i mean <laughs> Wow, You're this... having some fun, Musa. No, no, no. Hey, listen. <laughs> no, listen, I'm too busy working and writing. You see my output, I like. Yeah. There's a man like, no, no. <laughs> no comments, no comments. <laughs> oh, but yeah, no, I mean, it's hard. Well, yeah, I think I, I'm not, it would I, take I, a certain I, I, type I, of person to be that free and that open to just travelling, especially if, I mean, if you wanted to have children... That's that would complicate. That's the big things thing. a great that's, deal. That's the you huge. Know. That's the huge thing because it's not about. Yeah. You know, when when you have children, obviously they're the centre of your existence. You know. In a sense, you know, like obviously you have a life, but you know you're raising a child, and so, to me, they become central. And I think a lot of people that have yeah. children, who've been so. Not free, but unstructured in terms of or spontaneous, people who've lived spontaneously for many many years who have children, I think struggle losing, struggle the loss of spontaneity. Yeah. I was talking to a good friend of mine, uh, a very dear friend who had a kid and she said, this thing is not better or worse having a kid. It's just completely different. And I do miss at times the loss of spontaneity because I didn't yeah. realize how much, I didn't realize how important the spontaneity was to me. Yeah. And if that's the most important thing for you, then then don't do it. I mean, I think there probably are ways around it because you could you could educate your child yourself, 
but I think in order to be spontaneous, you'd have to have a great deal of structure in place already in order to be able to yeah. keep that going. Do you know, it's not like you couldn't just wake up one day and think, actually, do you know what? I'm just going to jack it all in and travel around the world. And I mean, after homeschooling during lockdown, I know very well that I, I'm, I can't... <laughs> I can't teach my children. I mean, I don't know if they've never been in like a, a school system that would be easier, but I think on the whole, kids don't listen to their parents. And it's such a different skill set you know? as well. Even if they do listen, yeah. it's such a different skill set. Like yeah. the intensity of teaching somebody is a whole other level. Like teaching them like, yep. you know, it's another level. And a lot of people have really been through it, this pandemic. A lot of pa- yeah. oh my god, parents, toughest gig. Like, no, like, no, I don't want to like you know. Obviously, like you know, your life, it's your life. But I mean, in terms of the, the challenge of it. Like, I, I am someone who has been, through the pandemic as a single person. You know, mentally, I would say pretty good. Mental health, pretty yeah. good, which is, I think, helped because there were times when it was difficult. The isolation is difficult, um, but ultimately, you're still responsible for yourself. I think being responsible for another human being and then having to teach them and keep them, that, that, that's hard. I'm not going to like, make yeah. them, that's a hard, let's not kid ourselves. That's a tough challenge. Yeah. Yeah. You know. So how, how were you during the pandemic? Uh, <laughs> I was lucky. I was, yeah, obviously the worst of it, I think has gone for the time being. It may get bad again, but for me. The, Did doing the podcast help? Oh my God, hugely. Yeah. Because we. So what is, what is the podcast about? Okay. So, yeah, yes. Obviously. The pod, Yes. Well, well, yeah. <laughs> kind of so the podcast is called stadio um yeah. we we used to do it once a week uh but we started doing it twice a week during the pandemic we decided to sort of it was like people are going through it so let's kind yeah. of step it up it gives people something to like focus on twice a week just an hour of escapism every three days that was our thinking yeah but it ended up helping us i think as much as it helped the listeners and yeah the amount of emails we get the amount of emails we get every sort of we get like you know maybe a handful a week from different people all over the world going wow one person wrote to us and said my aunt my my wife got really really ill we weren't sure exactly how bad it was going to be it was quite severe at a certain point um and then i got ill i got covid because we live in a part of the u.s which doesn't really take you know respect the protocols and whatever yeah so my wife and i are both very very ill and that was about a year, year and a half. My wife's much better now and I'm on the mend. She's recovered. But I'm telling you all this because the podcast was something I could really focus on twice yeah. a week to take me out of my anxiety or stress, uncertainty. Yeah. And I was like, I, and I said it to Ryan, I said, my God. Like, and this happens like, this happens quite a bit because we're just jokers. Yeah. On the podcast, we basically go on and we're like, we talk about football. We make fun of each other. Um, we talk about old games, we geek out, and it's really kind of yeah. like, like a geek's corner, but it's really, someone said it's not actually a football podcast. Yeah. It's basically two people meeting up twice a week to chat about football and then about anything else. Ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. And there's like running jokes, like, you know, me and my obsession with cakes and like <laughs> my obsession with, I always tell the story of like going to Brazil, like an old man, like a boring old man. There's, there's lots of like, in, it's very, it's kind of like the fast show, I think. And oh it, wow! And it builds a kind of community, but it also really helped. Yes, yeah. yeah. It really helped me as well. Was it's really helped me too? So. And yeah. how lovely is that for you know that you're helping people? It's really nice. I mean, what a wonderful thing! It's wonderful, Amy. Like the, yeah. the knowledge that the really exciting thing is we haven't done any kind of live events. 
and we haven't met most of our listeners because most of our listeners are in the US, Australia and, oh, really? and, and the UK. Yeah, so we've never met most of the people that listen to the podcast, which, yeah, which you never yeah. will. So it's going to be really yeah. cool, like doing live events and meeting people who are like, oh, like yeah. we listen to your stuff through the kind of pandemic. At a time when people need the distraction, yeah. it's so nice to know that we made something that was there for people. That's a really lovely thought. Oh, so right. I want to go back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Way Let's back. <laughs> oh my goodness. For people that don't know who you are and ha. what you do. Ha, ha. So oh. what's, did you love football or music first or poetry first? I would say I loved football before poetry and then poetry yeah. before music. Okay. Yeah. So football was the first so, love, I think. Yeah. Were you always, because you went to Eton, didn't you? I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Someone said today, someone said, wait, so you mean that he's posh and he went to Eton? I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> you're not posh. She thought I was posh. You're well-spoken and educated. It's because you're so well-spoken. I, I feel maybe... There's so a, you trick people. Maybe there's an energy there. Maybe there's a bit of a posh energy. Who knows? But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so were you always, like, top of the class, very well-educated? I was... Um, there was a guy that always narrowly beat me in class back in the day, Bijan. Shout out to Bijan, very smart guy, historian now. What school did you go to? Uh, I went to Marish Middle School, then Langley Manor School, then Sunningdale Prep School, then Eton. Wow. And before that, I was at Rabs Farm and then St. Matthew's. So I went to, like, yeah, I went to Rabs Farm, St. Matthew's, Langley Manor. No, sorry. Rabs Farm, Langley Manor. No. Rabs Farm, St. Matthew's, <laughs> Marish Middle School, Langley Manor, Sunningdale, Eton. Did you move? Uh, no, I went to state schools in middle, state schools in Usley, West Drayton. Yeah. Then state schools in Langley, then a kind of like private school in Langley, and then one in Ascot, and then Eton. So, okay. Yeah, so like went around a bit. Yeah. My mum was like, nah, these schools aren't right. These aren't right. These aren't right. Okay, these are finally right. Okay. Yeah, she looked, she looked around a bit. Yeah. Um, but I was always like, I was, I always did well in class. Once I yeah. really started putting my finger out, I started doing well in class. And um, yes, yeah, so education, but education has always been really important in my family. Yeah. So you were not pushed, but it was always kind of, you were on that path to... Yeah, it wasn't like a... It wasn't like, yeah. one of those, it wasn't like one of those kids who like becomes a tennis player but secretly hates it. Like, I loved studying. Yes. Yeah, I yeah, loved, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but, that, but it was a thing. Like, education was definitely yeah. a thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Have you got siblings? I've got four. Four? Are you the only one that went to Eton? I am, yes. Or did they... You are? I am, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I'm the middle one. Um, yeah. And it's funny because, obviously, like, you go to a school like that and I think the expectation is you go and just coin it in, you know, make a load of money. But yeah, do you know what the thing is, Amy? Like, first of all, I've never been someone that's looked at like a massive house and been like, oh my God, I wish I had that massive house. Yes, yeah. And I think you need to, it can't just be like, you need to like want that consistently. Like, you know, you look at like a nice car, you know, like, oh, look at that fancy car. You've got to be someone that wants that fancy car all yeah. the time and i would look at it and be yeah. like oh that's nice but i would then the yeah the excitement disappears in about 10 minutes or five minutes yeah and i'm almost like good for them and i think if you want all those things you have to actively crave them yes. otherwise yep. you, you can't get them you just can't 
Yeah. Like I saw someone the other day was wearing a Balenciaga hoodie in Berlin and I was just like, why would you buy a hoodie from Balenciaga? <laughs> and I thought, of course, the, of course the immediate answer is because you can. Yeah. And, yeah. You want, and you want people to know that you can, if you think about it. Yes. And that's yeah. it. That, that, and, that's, and that thing is, that's not in me. And so I'd go through these yeah. kind of like, I go to, went, went to Eton. I always wanted to be a writer. And those things weren't in me. Like I've got friends who went to that school who had a, you know, a ridiculous amount of money. And I was just like, that wasn't. Yeah. You know, the ones that you, you meet them up years later and they're like, they're desperate to pay for stuff because they're like, they want to show that they. Yeah. It's not yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. it's not necessarily <laughs> generosity. It's like, it's not generosity because it's more like, I'm like, I've got this. I've got, they're like, oh, they're like, I've got this. And they, the yeah. card is up. And I was like, wow, how the card comes out of the wallet so quick. You're like, you've practiced this. Yeah, like, yeah. You couldn't wait to be the guy that took the card out. I was like, oh, I've got this. That's the thing. That's your yeah. moment. That's your moment. <laughs> but it's, different. it's what's important to people, isn't it? Like yeah. I never, I, I'm from Essex. And if you want to make money, you go and work in the city. Mm. But that was never what I wanted to do because I wanted to make music yeah, or yeah. be creative. I wasn't interested in that. I mean, obviously, I'd like to have a house yeah, yeah. <laughs> and a nice car, but that's not the... I wouldn't want to do a, a job that I didn't enjoy. If, yeah, if you can't do it that to way... To get that. Yeah, exactly. If you can't do it the way you want to do it... And that's the gamble we make as artists. Like, If you can't make that money that gets you that security doing the stuff you love then yeah. that's the risk you've made you've like okay then i might not do that but it, yeah. it, it does cost you financially no question not just financial yeah. costs you but it costs you emotionally yeah. because it affects your relationships like i've been able to live the life i'm living no bones about it because i don't have um children that have dependents i can take more financial risks yeah if i had a relative that was really ill who's elderly there's a lot of jobs, even like the last week, a couple of weeks ago, a job I turned down, decent amount of money. I don't turn that down if I've got a relative who's ill. I do it because I'm yeah. like, I need to feed or like look after that yeah, person's yeah. healthcare. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm very aware of my privilege in that situation. But it, the dream is worth chasing. It's been worth, yeah. it's been worth chasing. I mean, let me look at our friend, you know, look at our friend Screw. It was well worth chasing. Yeah. 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 But he does, he does and has worked extremely hard to do what he does. I don't know how he does it. I don't know how he does it. He's just, well, he's just driven, isn't he? But I think that's the thing with people that are really successful. They are so driven and you have to be in order to I think it's crazy that. about him. So my, I think it's amazing about Scroob is that he's always been on time creatively. He's never made a wrong move. Like there's not yeah. a single thing in his career like me, I've like done a lot of things and like made my way and eventually everything's fallen into place. But he's been in the right place since 2007. He did yeah. music at the right time. He did podcasting yeah. at the right time. He did acting at yeah. the right... He's never been uh, like... I mean, of course he's had like his challenges and his self-doubt, yes. But he's never been in the wrong place career-wise. It's absolutely yeah. incredible. It's amazing yeah. that he's done that. Like he's put together an incredible, incredible career. Like, yeah, yeah, he has. Yeah, and he keeps doing it. He's, 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 <laughs> well, I don't. <laughs> he just knew. He just knew when it was time to become a podcaster. He's yeah. like, I've done these brilliant albums, and he was yeah. like, Nah, like he put his finger to the wind. He was like, I love how there's a siren. Just when the siren's like, there's a warning <laughs> sign, and that's that's but that's the that's the Berlin soundtrack for you in the background. Um, it was like music okay, time to shift away from music. Okay, podcasting, great. Time to like move into something else as well, acting. Yeah. 
amazing. It is amazing. And he still lives in the same place, doesn't he? He still lives there, right? Yep. Incredible. Yep. That man is a legend. Um, anyway, carry on. He is a legend. Um, so how... Uh, I how do you get into Eton? Do you have to take like exams to get in? It's yeah, it's entrance exams. Do you have to pay to go? Yes, you do. You have to pay to go. So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. What you have to do is, you have to go to preparatory school first, the prep school, because if you go to state school, there's a lot of subjects that you haven't studied that you have to study at Eton. Like okay, yeah, you haven't studied. If you go to a state school, a lot of state schools don't teach you Latin. Well, they don't teach you Latin or Greek or. They, no. Right, exactly. So you haven't. <laughs> so you have to go. To, if you're going to sit a scholarship exam to go to Eton, you have to first prepare yourself. You've got to like go to a school that teaches you these subjects. So by the time you go to do your exam, you don't get naught percent. Yeah. So for two years, before I went to Eton. I basically went to a school. Where I had to kind of cram for two years and learn everything from scratch. Never learned Latin. Never learned Greek. Had to go to like this school for two years and learn everything. People have been studying these things for, se for since the age of seven. I start studying at the age of 11 and a half. These people got like a four-year head start on me and everything. Wow. Never studied yeah. French before. I'd never studied yeah. French, never studied. The only subject where I was, in the I was equal to them was English. Everything else I'd never done before. Like even, yeah. the, even the type of maths they taught, I was way behind everyone. So I basically like went for two years to this kind of school in Ascot where I basically crammed everything, worked my ass off. So I went from being like one of the top students in Berkshire when I was in the state system to going to my prep school and I was bottom of almost every class. Yeah. It was horrifying. Overnight I was yeah. like bottom. And in the space of two years, I went from bottom of the class to like basically top of the class. So wow. I, got, I got ready in two years and then I went to my exam. I didn't get a full scholarship because you have to finish in the top. You've got to finish in the top 15 to get a scholarship. I didn't, there were like 84 people that sat the exam. I didn't finish in the top 20, but I did well enough. They were like, you did well enough that we're going to yeah. give your mum 50% off the school fees. Oh, wow. So she paid 50% of the school fees. So I went there for five yeah. years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what was it like? Uh, it was... It was... Um, it was like taking... If, if studying is like an athlete, if studying as a sport, it was like going to the Olympics. Yeah. It was like going to the Olympics every week for five years. <laughs> like your brain is tested to a level. Constant, yeah. constant, constant, constant. Every two year, every every two weeks you're tested. You get a report card where you're ranked along. Seriously. Yeah. Every two weeks, every two weeks you're ranked alongside your classmates in every subject. Every two weeks. Seriously. Yeah. Every two weeks. Oh my god. Yeah. if you're not doing very well do they kick you out if no you just you don't do you just well have to, but this is the thing amy they rank you yeah they, they don't they don't because everyone does it everyone manages to work everyone produces work yeah. right um so that's like hyper competitive you get ranked yeah so every single subject you get ranked in and that happened that's every every two weeks it's every two weeks that is so much pressure yeah 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 there's so much pressure. Oh my god! Yeah. What were the other people like? Well, it depends what you're. T <laughs> <laughs> there were a lot of look. This is the thing. It's like all walks of life. Oh, no, no, no. 
They weren't, is they, it mainly upper class people? They weren't there. from all walks of life. What I meant was, it's the same as in all walks of life, where you've got people that are lovely, and people that are yeah. terrible. But the thing is, what wealth does is wealth makes people. Can I say this? It's one of yeah. the most mysterious environments I've ever been in. And when I say mysterious, what I mean is this. So you had really lovely people, don't get me wrong. And you had people yeah. that were like really awful, entitled and arrogant. Yeah. And you also had a weird thing where you found out a funny thing about wealth, which is that wealth and power, true wealth and power is absolutely invisible. You could be at school with someone for five years. So, for example, there's a guy I was talking to, and I said, um, you, we're, still, we're mates from school. We caught up uh, a few years later. I ran that poetry night in, in uh, London, and he came along to it. And he was like, oh, Musa, how's it going? I was in town. I was just over, you know, I live in Europe now. and in the, I live on the continent now, but I thought I'd come to your poetry night. So we were chatting. We were having a good time. And um, he said, yeah, it was funny at school, like getting to know people, because they normally came, got to know me through my money. And I'm like, what do you mean your money? Like, you're like a regular guy like me. You're like a middle class yeah. dude. He was like, no, no, I, I I wasn't. I was like, what do you mean? Like, knowing this guy for like years, Amy, like yeah. same boarding house for five years. And then yeah. like, I was like, what do you mean your family has money? I know you've got a place in Barnes, but Barnes is like, you know, middle yeah. class stock. It's not like loaded. Well, it's, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, but it's, 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 but it's not loaded. And he was like, oh, I said, yeah. what kind of money do you mean? When, when rich people talk about money, they don't name numbers. Yes. I yeah, said, yeah, I, yeah. Said, yeah. I said, what do you mean money? He said, well, put it this way. He said, my family had a monopoly on all the trade coming into the port of one of Europe's biggest cities for several years. Oh, my God. Yeah. For several years. Is he single? He's, <laughs> <laughs> he, he's not. Does he like children? <laughs> he's, he's not single and he's, uh, he's not straight. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he might want to adopt us, though. He might want to. Yeah, that's true. I could oh ask him that. I could, I could, I could ask that him. Is the, that is so true. When people have got money, you don't, they don't talk about it. And I knew or this they, guy. Because you know, I don't need to talk about it. Well, no, there's something else. They, they, it's, it's because they are told by their parents. Never forget that people know. I remember this one guy told me, a wealthy guy at school told me, he said, Never forget who you are because no one around you will ever forget who you are. Yeah. If you've got money, everyone knows it and everyone will always know it. Yeah. So never forget that. So what wealthy people do, you realise, you know, they're not they're not a different breed in the sense genetically they're not different, but the way they've been raised is completely different a lot of the time. Yeah. There was one guy, he played for like, um, <clears throat> I got, I worked with him later because I used to work with an NGO that helped wealthy people give money away. We helped them like, advised them on their grant making for their foundations very nice guy canadian dude really wealthy and no one in his sunday league team knew anything about him he was like so so rich and he always turned up in tattered clothes whatever and he hid it perfectly and i'm like oh my god there are like rich wow. people rich people hide their money like squirrels hide nuts in winter <laughs> it's unbelievable yeah it, it blew me it blew me away how secretive wealth is wow yeah it's incredible but that's, it's sad in a way isn't it because it's like you can't be you must have to worry about what people are going to think about you all the time well this, to me it was sad I because guess. it was like but then again you think it's sad but then when you realize they have each other yeah it's not it's you think <laughs> oh my god it's really sad and all of a sudden you're like hang on a minute but like yeah exactly you're like oh it's really sad they think hang on a minute 
but there's a, there's enough wealthy people that are very secretive about their wealth and it's almost yeah. like and then you go from being sympathetic to being like but we're just not good enough for you because you could have told me that at any time it wouldn't affect i know look we've got yeah 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 i've got i've got wealthy friends who've made a lot of money from you know we know you know from from music from like acting yeah. from whatever from all yeah. walks and i've known those people they've made their money and we're not any different and i'm like you yeah. just you just didn't trust me yeah in your world and then at that point i'm like well that's kind of kind of pathetic actually yeah because yeah. it's not that deep like you really think i'm going to give you really think me of all people is going to care about that yeah you know and I, don't, and I kind of don't i think that's why yeah yeah it's more a reflection on the, how they think about it i guess isn't it my mum always said she was like oh like you went to that school you could have like made connections with those people and made a lot of money and i said well listen people did do that they did do that but that was never my energy and the reason i'm still yeah. friends with some of those people is because i never asked them for anything yeah it's yeah. why we're still friends they're like oh that guy actually like even like now with the writing like you know on linkedin people start adding that so your writing's doing well now it's picking up it's gaining momentum like because someone like scroob scroob's career has always gone on a line i've known him for 14 years his career has always gone steadily upwards yeah i've been in the wilderness for a lot of that time no mistake about it i've made my work but there's long times i was talking to a dear friend of mine we used to date but we're still mates now and she was like i've known you so many years i've known you all those years there was a period for like six seven years you were like I'm not making anything of this. It's never going to work. Yeah. And I, I've known you for all those years. I've known you for all those years. And you were like making your work, doing your political writing, doing your football writing, your commentary. And it's like you just weren't, you felt like you weren't making an impact to getting it, but you were, you just didn't see it. And now, of course, money has come with it and visibility. But she said, even when yeah. you doubted it, it was having an impact. Yeah. So it's been a long, long, yeah. honestly, it's 14 years, Amy. My sister said it. My sister's like, Moose, you've been, you've been on a long, long road to get here. Yeah. So how, when did you start performing this? When did you start writing? When did you start writing poetry? Uh, well, so I first started writing when I was like, like 10, 11. But then, yeah. like, as an adult, like 2005. Okay, uh, yeah. And performing it, 2005, 2006. You were in a... Collective, yeah, poem team people, yeah, poem team people in the collective, and that's when I met you. That's right. That was like sort of 05, 06 and I was, yeah, I did some spoken word. Um, How did you guys come together? So I saw, I saw Josh doing um, poetry at the Poetry Unplugged. Yeah, and he did this amazing um, poem called "We Be They Be," and I was like, "That's amazing." Uh, and he was like, "I really like your stuff." So we ended up working together, collaborating, and we ran a poetry night. Po Jazzy uh, for yes. several years actually several years together um, and a lot of like brilliant artists came through that not didn't came through they played there I wouldn't say yeah. came through it's not like we didn't make them we didn't make them big they came and played our night um, so about so I think six seven years we ran that six yeah, yeah six years uh, which was a you know great great success a real joy doing it and um, in Euro was part of that Shabaka Hutchings who's now part I think of Comics Comic was involved and it was really just a kind of way to it was a kind of a place where you know having a poetry collective it means you kind of always keep each other going i think to an extent you're always creating always pushing forward and it, it's wild thinking how long i did that for so I, I was doing poetry and then while i was doing poetry this is at 06 i got approached by someone who said look do you want to write a book about your time at eton with a view to like because of David Cameron's prime minister now. 
yeah. would you want to write a piece about him and his story? And, and I was like, well, that's not really my kind of style, like investigative journalism. But I do love football. I'd like to write about that instead. So I ended up writing my first book in 2007 called A Cultured Left Foot. Um, and that book, like, it was, my, it was weird. I, I think I wrote a book about football before I wrote an article about football. Uh, which is obviously the other way around. And um, yeah. yeah, so it got nominated for Sports Book of the Year and it was doing really well. And the weird thing was, when the book came out, it started getting these really great reviews. People were like, we didn't even know. So I don't know if you remember Chris, Chris Revan, ventriloquist, brilliant poet. He was like, I, yes. yeah, he was like, I didn't even know you liked football. You never mentioned it. Because yeah. I, kept, I kept them completely separate because like, I was like, you know, most poets don't really care for football, you know, in that scene. Yeah. So yeah, I kind of built the um, the poetry was going. I was doing my thing at the spoken you know, poetry cafe on the circuit, winning slams here and there, doing festivals, building like a bit of reputation, whatever. That's how I met Scroob. Actually, we did um, met Dave. We did um, uh, a poetry slam together, and then yeah. a couple of months after the poetry slam, he met Dan Lassac, who basically remixed the poems he'd performed in that final, and then he's like all of a sudden like his career just goes into orbit which was yeah. amazing yeah and we so and obviously we're still in touch him and i still in touch you know he's a, he's a great guy we're still great friends uh we did a podcast together actually recently distraction pieces i listened oh man so funny yeah yeah that was yeah. great that was like 14 years in the making like i know 14 I know. years of just knowing each other and going like and it was unbelievable but there's always been that sort of huge mutual respect i think between us yeah so him getting big in 2007 was amazing for the scene because it just elevated spoken word for people who had not really paid attention to it and then of course yeah. Kate Tempest came through the scene Polar Bear came through people don't know this but Ed Sheeran came through as well yes yeah the poetry scene because he wasn't really getting gigs that much on the kind of folk circuit because they couldn't replace yeah. him he was more pop and yeah. that was before he was doing stuff with the grime artists and stuff so he did a lot of gigs on the circuit we booked him for a couple of things um you know he's done yeah, it's crazy what happened <laughs> Yeah, but it's I, crazy. I, I clocked it though. I said it. I called Did it. You? I called it in 2006. Yeah. I said I'm really smug about it. I was like, this guy's going to be the biggest thing in the world. I I was yeah. telling. I told my um, I told uh, my my girlfriend at the time actually. I was like, he's going to be. I I've never seen. I saw him play at the place called Cross Kings. It doesn't exist anymore. There's a pub called Cross Kings in uh, near the Guardians Building, King's Place, up York Way. Yeah. And we did a festival. Uh, band Arzen did a, did a gig and then he came on stage after us he did a cover of Genuine's Pony and I was like get your top off get your top off he took his top yeah. off and he's like yeah so like you know it's a 17 year old like, pudgy like you know and and like and I said and I get, went up to Arsenal and said I've never seen anything like that and I was like he will be and I, I remember, I've been saying it for like 15 years and people were yeah. like I remember saying it because I heard um, what's that song he did called The A-Team uh, The A-Team and I was like, that song is going to be everywhere. That's the one. And they were like, no. And the record labels were like, and so I spoke to him about it. They're like, he said, the record labels, I said I was going to put a single. They were like, it's got no hook. And I'm like, the entire song is a hook. <laughs> the entire song is a hook. I remember like, oh my God. I'm like, I said, we're still in touch actually. We're still in touch. Like he's, uh, he's here. He's here in Berlin, obviously once a year now because he's touring the world. Uh, yeah. But we catch up like every so often. But he's like, He's the same. Can he believe it? He didn't. He didn't. People don't realize how close it was for him. Like he, he at one point was like, even if I never make it, I want to make enough money I can keep on gigging. 
That's the point. Yeah. That's the point he was at. Yeah. Like people don't realize yeah. it. Evan was like, oh, he's not the right look. He's the right hair. He doesn't look like the right thing. He doesn't this. He's not this. And I was like, that's why he's going to do it. Yeah, because yeah. he's all of it. That's why he's yeah. going to do it. And I, I, I yeah. honestly, Amy, I've, I've never felt so smug about anything in my life. Yeah. I literally was just like, <laughs> 2006, I called it. I'm like, yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, he, no, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. That was oh. awesome. Yeah, it sort of went to the wedding as yeah. well. That was, went to the wedding. That was amazing. Oh, wow. That was like, just, it was like, it was, um, that was, uh, he got married um, just before, the, was it 2019? Yeah. And I remember thinking, this is so lovely because it's like seeing his entire journey. The guy came through the poetry scene. You know, at one point he was in the yeah. oh, he was on our poetry collective for a bit because yeah, we were like, yeah, yeah we, were like, we were like, he came to London. And he was like, oh, I'm not really getting many gigs. And I was like, well, we can, we'll just get you some gigs. Like, we'll just take you around yeah. and like just join in and do stuff. Um, and it's really lovely just to see him do all of that. And he's not changed. Yeah. Well, he, I mean, it, it has changed in that way. Yeah. In that way, that's changed. <laughs> But the fundamental stuff that he chats about, jokes about, that's not different. Yeah. Even down to like the scene and like, what are people up to? And like, he'll bring up specific people. You're like, how do you even care about that? You're like. Yeah. <laughs> but he's just, he's him, isn't he? That's the thing, is it? I mean, obviously he's had loads of success, but he's still that person. It's funny, there's something, there's something very, and this is something I see in Essex as well. I think the reason I was comfortable in Essex is because there's something very down to earth about it. I've yeah. always liked very down to earth people, very unpretentious. And like, I joke about like Ilford, but like people are who they are, they're real. And that yep. was a thing that like, you know, having gone to a boarding school, people are not always real. Yeah. It kind of reminded me, living in Essex kind of reminded me of being at state school again, like where people were just, they were who they were. And yeah. I, I love that. Like if someone likes you, it's clear. If they don't like you, they don't like you. And it's like, there's no, and I, I, I think I love that about the people I'm still friends with in the scene. They're like, they're just completely who they are. It's lovely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But I did, I did, the reason I mentioned Ed as well is because I said to him, another prediction, I said, I'm going to start making it when you start retiring. Yeah. And the first, yeah. when, I said, you're so good at what you do that I'm going to start making when you start retiring. Yeah. And like clockwork, he gets his first um, year off from touring in ages. Yeah. I get my first music publishing deal. And then like my next book deal and whatever. And I was like, dude, I told you, I told you, man. Yeah. Like I'm, how many years behind you? I said, I'm like 10, 15 years behind you. I said, that's about right. That's about right. Yeah. <laughs> I predicted so that So tell too. us about the music. So yeah, we're actually, I'm actually kind of winding the music down now. So I, oh, okay. I did it for several years. I did it from 2007. Yeah. Uh, and then I came here, I put out um, projects with Ben and City. I did some stuff with them. Yep. And then I did, uh, well, before that, Poem Between People, then Ben and City, went to Glastonbury in 07, actually, did some spoken word and dance music. Then we did um, stuff with Ben and City, which was kind of more, some electronic, but some jazz. Then went and did a project called The King's Will for a couple of years, put out a couple of albums yes, with them. Yes, Came to, got some, like, good, some, got some playlists, there's some good stuff, you know, nothing too fancy, but all right, like, stuff to get out there. Um, had a couple of like highlights with that. That was really lovely. And then came to Berlin and was almost like done with it. it was like, okay, I'm done with yeah. music. So I recorded a kind of almost like a farewell EP um, called The Nomadic, like a four track EP. Yeah. And I was recording it on the way to Berlin. So basically, I was, I recorded it in Leeds while moving out of Berlin with all my stuff packed up at my mum's place. So I was basically between about four different places while I was recording it. 
and I wrote the final song on the train up to Leeds to record with Greg Cermax from a group Paper Tiger. And then we released it. And I was like, this is the last music I'm ever going to make. So I moved to Berlin in 07, put the EP out myself, couldn't find a uh, record label for it, sent it to 100 different labels. No one would put it out, so I put it out myself. And then there was a website. I forget the name of it now, my goodness. But there's a website where you uploaded your stuff and they would rank you alongside, uh, in, was it not IndieWire, but Indie, some, Indie Shuffle, that was it, Indie Shuffle. The way the Indie Shuffle worked was you sent them your music, whether you were like a major label or an independent, and they ranked you equally. Yeah. They just put it to their listeners with an equal, they were like, whether it's a major label or not. So it was a really good place for major labels to get kind of indie cred because you were up against yeah. everyone else. The single that I put out called Ring the Bells went to number one that week. Wow. Yeah, ahead of like major labels. It was ahead of like, it was yeah. unbelievable. It was like, and this was me going, I'm done with music. And I'm like, it, I got like 10,000 listens on SoundCloud. Back when SoundCloud was relatively small in like yeah. a day with no promo at all, just on their site. And it got covered. There was like a big, one of the biggest radio stations in Italy, uh, Rai 2, wrote an essay about it. This is a brilliant song. This is whatever. Like, but there was no follow up because there was no label. There was no tour, nothing. Yeah. And so it just kind of sat, it's not even on Spotify, it just sort of sat there on YouTube or SoundCloud and got forgotten about. And then I was in Berlin for another two years and I was chatting to people and they were like, oh, what do you do? And I was like, well, I'm a football writer. I do a bit of poetry. And for some reason I mentioned music, which I never did at that point. I was done with music. It's 2009. I put out The Nomadic two years ago. Yeah. And the woman I was talking to at the party, shout out to N. Hay. N. Hay was like, whoa. Like, what music sent it to me? Turns out that she was the lawyer for one of the biggest music publishers in Germany. And she was like, your stuff's amazing. And she signed me. They signed me the next week. Wow. And they've got the same publisher. So, you know, like, um, Max Richter and, like, who's that guy? Yeah, Max Richter does all those big soundtracks for movies. Yeah. Ludovico Einaudi, the pianist. Like, all these big pianists and soundtracks. They're si they basically signed me as a songwriter to that publisher. Yeah, so out of nowhere, and then that was in 2009, and then um, a couple of years went by, we did a couple more gigs, put out some music, uh, our first single we put out called um, Hard Road to Travel, my group BBXO, went to like, we broke the 250, on, top 250 on the German radio charts, even though we were in English, we're ahead of like David Guetta, like we got like... <laughs> Our first, yeah, it had like had like quarter million listens on Spotify with no, no pro oh with, with no promo, right? Yeah. So at one point, I was taking it really seriously on the music thing, but then I was like, there, there came a moment, Amy. I was just like, do I want to be going in a van around Europe for two, three years? Yeah. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be playing yeah. to audiences of twenty, fifty people because no one talks about that side of it. That's what it's got to be. I'm not, yep. I'm not 22 anymore. If I was 22, if BBXO had that kind of hype behind it, first listens, I was like, wow, yeah. But I was like, no, I'm not. I don't have that in me anymore. I feel yeah. like I, I've done that. I've done that part, my, that part of my life where I had the energy for that. Yeah. Because it's not even the physical energy. It's the spiritual energy yep. of the disappointment. And... Um, we gave it one last go, so we, we did a different stuff. We put out um, that, so that summer we did that uh, track, it was doing really, really well. We went to the Raperbahn Festival, the big festival for music in um, 
in, in, in Germany. It's the big independent music festival in Europe, pretty much. And you, it's like South, it's like the South by Southwest for Europe. We go and play like a private gig and it was all music execs. We play a set and come off stage. And they were like, Warner Brothers lawyer came up to us and was like, who are you signed to? And our publisher was like, he's ours. Like they were already. So we then do another, yeah. we do another festival, the same strip. We do another, and um, a really cool indie label, like one of the German equivalents of like, you know, like on a Young Turks type. Yeah, yeah. They basically heard us and signed us on the spot. So we get signed by like a, a really, a super cool German underground label after like, just them, they saw us for like one 20 minute gig. One of the guys in the bar was like, this is one of the best live sets you've ever seen. We love it. We love it. Like all, there was so much hype around it. We, yeah. we ended up writing a song for like the German, for the Bundes, German Football League, Bundesliga. We wrote a song for them. I'll send you the link to it. Oh, wow. We wrote, we wrote a song for them for like, for US TV. Yeah. Which was aired for like a year, two years. So all this was happening in 2018. Oh my God. But then we signed for this label. Yeah. We signed for this label. And then just when things are like going really quite well, they were like, we've signed you. Now change this and this and this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. moment we signed, they were like, change all of this. Oh. And I was like, we can't do this. Yeah. So we, yeah. we left the label without releasing a single song with them. We never released a single song. Why do they do that? I don't know. And I just said, I said to the guy I worked with, I said to Chris, I was like, hey man, like, I, I don't have it. It's in me anymore. I can't. Yeah. I'm not 22. I can't. These disappointments. Yes. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I can't. I can't do it. Like, and it was painful. And, someone said, and it was funny because our music, it was in Berlin. People were circulating. We played gigs. We played like big, like we, our first two gigs we played to, 250 and 400 people and like wow. big yeah first two gigs and we we absolutely smashed it. we played like 60 minute and 70 minute sets we played gigs with musicians being like we thought you've been touring for two years we were tight as anything we were like and the tunes were like really accessible they were doing well on like radio whatever they were doing really well and then it was like we don't have the further backing or investment and eventually i was like nah man it's like it's not our time we know we're good enough but it's not our time yeah and you have to accept that that's the thing with music like unlike any other genre or thing you do or art form there is a time limit and i was like yeah. it's not yeah. our, it's not our time and so we we decided we're going to put out one record this year not like high profile just put it out just we'll have something to kind of seal it and then we, i'll be done with it yeah just so it exists, just so we have a kind of document yeah. of this is the work we made, this is what we're proud of. So we're really proud of what we made, but I just... Yeah, said, and you've had... That's amazing. Like, you've had the success, and yeah. it, but you know in yourself, like, that. that's the thing with music. I mean, everyone thinks, oh, yeah, I want to be an artist and do all the shows, but the actual reality of touring and gigging, it's a hard life. Brutal. It's hard life. You've got to really, really want that. And it's hard on relationships, and friendships. Gotcha. My friend, yep. said, my friend said it best. He said, do you know what it's like being a musician? He said, it's like, you meet people, it's 24 hours, uh, 48 hours, you go be complete strangers to being best friends and then you never see them again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you meet the promoter at the airport, you put your bags down, 
you chat, you get to know, you connect, you connect, you engage, and then you're gone. Yeah. Over and over and over yeah. and over again. It's just, it sounds devastating. For someone like me that's a social yeah. creature, yeah. a social person, it's heartbreaking because you're leaving all those friends behind. And they're genuine friends. If you're an outgoing person, it, yeah. I, I went to a festival, um, a literature festival in Europe, uh, elsewhere in Europe, um, met someone there actually who was running one of the festivals and we clicked really well and like connected and it was like I was genuinely sad to leave and I got on the train and they were kind of standing on the platform as I went away and I was just like this is kind of heartbreaking and this would happen over and over again as a musician because you'd go and give all of yourself you'd go and play a small gig and a and you'd give everything because you do as an artist and I was like yep. and you're going to keep living leaving parts of yourself all over the world yeah until there's nothing left you know yeah as dramatic as that sounds because you no but it's true you do and it's painful it's painful yeah yep yeah. well, i completely understand and that, not that i've had that no but yeah but you had but yeah but, <laughs> but you, i no, know but, you, but, no, but your stuff was brilliant you you had your moment as well you had your moment as a musician you could have no, yeah things could have gone a different yeah. way for you they could have they could have like, yeah they could have look at i shouted gun as well obviously that was before but that yeah, that yeah. band could have done what um what slaves went and did no yeah, if, yeah. They, if they'd come along when the grime generation were doing more stuff crossover they were just yeah. i shouted gun were too early they were one of the best groups yeah. they were yes yeah astonishing actually yep. they were you know warren was a, was a genius like like as a yeah. live performer so you know and you had your moment too you definitely had your moment chuki ting all that stuff like you definitely had your yeah. moment but it's who comes along and puts a wedge of cash behind it yes yeah and it's the, like I, like when you said about it, it's the disappointment. Like I had ten years of things nearly happening. Of course you did. And I just couldn't take the rejection anymore. You couldn't because you're human. Because it's just like, do you know what? And, and also, I didn't like performing. Well, always. <laughs> I loved making music and writing, but performing wasn't my thing. I think that's the thing. I mean, I remember seeing a, um, the moment I clocked that it was all about something else than the art. I went to Abbey Road when. Uh, Dan and Scroobius played their sort of first breakout set they played at Abbey Road yeah. I went along to watch it there were a bunch of acts on that night um, Dan and Scroobius were there Riz MC was there performing a track called Sour Times which was incredible yeah that's what that song's called and it blew me away I was right? trying to think yeah, Riz, yeah, Riz and Riz yeah. Dan and Scroob were the best thing on that night and yeah. the least impressive act by far was a group called the Ting Tings to the point exactly I was there I know yeah. we were both there yeah, yeah, yeah. to the point yeah. where people to the point where people were almost like this is like people were kind of laughing at them like it was yes. kind of a joke yes and the Ting Tings yes. went huge yeah huge <laughs> yeah I've forgotten about yeah I remember that yeah yeah and I remember thinking that's what we're up against you're not yeah. up against you're not up yeah. against quality you're up against what fits and what doesn't yes yeah and that is it that is it all day and what is seen to fit yeah. like you know and you know ed made it and ed's now the biggest star in the world pretty much but ed had to gig 300 times in a year to make it yeah yeah in a year yeah 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 <laughs> so we did the, the music thing i'm really proud because and i'll send you the link to the kind of the football thing we did i felt like when i did yeah. that when i did the football thing i was like no matter what i achieve as a musician people know I was legit. Because you can't, because yeah. what happened was when the, lock, when the pandemic came along, obviously football shut down. And the first game, 
that came back on TV anywhere in the world was a German football game. It was Borussia Dortmund against Bayern Munich. And what yeah. happens? Everyone is watching this game. And what comes on at half time? The track that we did. Wow. It's called Football as it's meant to be. I'll send it to you on WhatsApp. Yeah. I'll send you the video as well. So I had to, we, we picked the beat out. It was a BBXO production, everything. Here's the funny thing. It won two international marketing awards. We didn't know about this because it went out as the agency, right? So we didn't receive the award. The agency did. So our name was <gasps> our name was never on it. Our oh name was I was wild. So everyone was like, "Oh my god, wow!" And the BBC were like, they went to the Bundesliga going like, "How did you write this? Who? How did you do this?" How? And they were like, "How does a British dude like write this?" And no one, but no one knew that it was us. But then people were writing to me on twitter going because they knew stadio by then it was it was almost like it was meant yeah. to be they knew stadios so they were like we've heard that voice I mean, but people, yeah. people emailing me going musa like and tweeting going, have we just heard you like are you a musician and i'm like yeah i don't really talk about it and they were like we love it so i posted it on i eventually said okay look this was a bundesliga thing that we did and i posted it on twitter and the amount of views it got like two hundred thousand views last time i checked and people universal acclaim universal yeah. acclaim going Hey man, your stuff and I was like and I remember thinking like you know what I've proven it like yeah, no matter yeah. what I was good enough I was legit yeah because people hate spoken word in music they do really because most people don't do it <laughs> but they do really they hate it they'd hate it really but we did it in such a way that people were like no that's legit yeah I'll send it to oh, you oh it's amazing it yeah do and also you've and you've just had a book come out as well haven't you Oh my that God. I was totally meant to read. I was going to be all professional and read it before I started off. I'm going to call your books. Yeah, that one came out. And that <laughs> two one, books, yeah. two books. Oh, yeah, because um, Emma Warren. Yes. Yeah, I know her from the forward days. She posted about it. I was like, oh, so yeah, so tell us about the books. So uh, the first book um, that came out this year, uh, so there's, there's three books coming out this year. Uh, oh, all right, show off. No, you got, listen, I've got to market myself as a podcast. Listen, you never know. But... <laughs> So um, uh, the first one came out, um, and these are like years in the making, so it's not like, you know, but uh, yeah. so January, it came out January, and it's called, in the end, it was all about love. Yeah. And it's based on my first four years in Berlin. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's like uh, partly my own story, but also it's a story about like making a life in a new city. But it's also about the fact that like, you know, I was approaching 40. And my dad died when he was 40. So I felt like I hadn't achieved enough with my life. Yeah. I was like, have I done enough with my life? Because all these things I was trying creatively weren't quite coming off, you know? Like, you're, yeah. you know, you know like, like yourself, lots of frustrations, knockbacks, things not quite going anywhere. Put out my own poetry. Had to self-publish that because no one would publish my poetry. You're joking. I couldn't get a publisher for my poetry. I went through some really difficult times, like yeah, really, really tough. Like, am I good enough? Am I good enough? Couldn't get like a job at a newspaper, a column anywhere, nothing like that. My stuff was getting picked up by media, but like, and my Twitter readership was growing. So people, I knew people wanted to see what I had to say, yeah. but I never got any like contract work. It was always freelance, freelance for years on end. Yeah, yeah. Everyone was looking, but nobody was buying. Yeah. Not everyone, but you know, people were looking, but no one was buying. Not everyone. Not far from it. My goodness, I wish. Um, <laughs> not to, I shouldn't beat myself up too much. Um, and so I wasn't getting anywhere, Amy. And then I just thought, it's, and then I, then I wrote this sci fi novel 
and I thought the sci-fi novel, this is 2017, I wrote this sci-fi novel and I thought that would be the big step because people were so excited about it. The idea sounded really exciting to people and everyone was like, oh my God, I met like different people. I met J.K. Rowling, I met all these different people who were like, this sounds amazing. When you meet us, send it to our agent, it sounds amazing. I wrote the book, sent it to these agents and one by one, everyone turned it down. So just when I thought I was about to like get somewhere and make it, everyone turned it down. And that was oh. 2017. I was just, that was when the music stuff was happening. It all happened at the same time. Yeah. The record label deal fell through. The publishing thing fell through. And I was like, I've failed. Oh, fucking hell. It all happened. That's in the, a lot. It all, yeah, the, it, the music thing would have been enough to happen in one year. Yeah. But yeah. it all happened at the same time. And I was like, this is too much. Yeah. So then I wrote a book about how it felt. And the book was called, in the end, it was all about love. Aww. And I, I read it and I started to say, what is this all about in the end? It's about making work so one day, hopefully, someone will like see that work and be like, that guy is, is a good human being. Let me give him a yeah. chance. Yeah. What's this whole artistic journey been about? It's about been about getting visible enough to meet enough people so that one day one of those people I meet will be someone who goes, you know what, let's give this a go. Yeah. And that's what the book is about. It was about coming to terms with the fact that you're almost the same age your dad was when he died. And maybe yeah. maybe you kind of failed and that's okay. And the book is about that. It's like, yeah. and um, it's funny because I put the book out and I was reading around, it was this weird thing, Amy, because it was having this incredible impact like, on a small scale. So I was reading bits of it out, people going, oh my God, like, can I have that bit or whatever? So I'd give people the book while I was writing. I'd give people bit segments of it while I was writing it. Yeah. One person wrote to me and said, oh my God, I gave this, copies it to my friends, I didn't tell you. And they gave it to their therapists and said, this is how I'm feeling. Before the book was even published. Wow. I know, so I had this kind of weird, kind of like really small niche, but like readership following so I then sent it to my agent and normally if you've got an agent they normally when you send them a book they don't reply to you for two weeks normally yeah Abby my agent replied the same day and said can I talk to you to like can I call you at lunch and I'm like uh, okay and she said Musa this book I'm annoyed that I have to wait to finish work because I love it she goes it's unbelievable within a day she sent it out to all the publishers she said you have this book this book this book this book's amazing Abby was like, oh my God, everyone was like, in the office, everyone loved it. Everyone rejected it for a year. After everything I'd been through that I just told you, for a year, everyone said no to it. But it just doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. And I was like, this is the story of my entire career. I'm always too late. I'm always wrong. I'm too early or too late. I'm like, like the, whole spoke, oh. the whole spoken word thing, like spoken word took off with music on adverts after I went to Berlin. It all took off after. Yeah, yeah. Or like the spoken word of the music stuff. It all was like, I'm, it's just me. I'm, it's kind of felt like a bit cursed. I was like, it's just who I am. And then Rough Trade came along. Oh my God. So, and so my entire life changed two summers ago. Uh, last summer, my entire life changed. I was on the phone to, to an ex of mine, lovely friend of mine. We were having a chat and I got a notification on of an email. I've been offered a book deal for in the end, it was all about love. And half an hour later, another email comes in while I'm on the phone to the same person. 
and it was a book deal for striking out the book with Ian Wright that's coming out in September. And I was like, stay on the phone. Another book deal might be coming. <laughs> so in, in half an hour, my life changed. Oh my God. Two book deals in half an hour. That's amazing. After years. So what's the, what's the football book? It's a children's book. It's based, it's for like 10 year olds and upwards, but it's really for anyone. Okay. And it's about yeah. a young, it's based on Ian Wright's life, but it's a, it's a, it's a novel. So it's, okay. it's basically like, it's taking some of the childhood issues that he had and I've yeah. made a completely original story in collaboration with him. And basically it's the story of like Ian as he is now. So it's the yeah. story of a 57 year old Ian Wright. Yeah. Going for a walk one day through Hackney Marshes. And he's going to watch one of his like friend's sons play football. And he sees this kid, this brilliant young footballer, like black kid from like East London playing. And the kid's amazing. And the kid is playing in a style that reminds Ian of himself. Not just yeah. the skill, but the passion and the kind of the quiet anger. And Ian's like, you only play like that if you're running from something. You only play with that desperation if you're running from something. Yeah. I, I see you in myself. So Ian sees this kid score an incredible goal, goes like, oh my God, this is amazing. Runs onto the pitch and hugs him when he's celebrating and runs off again. He's like, that's amazing. Keep doing what you're doing. But then just forgets about it because, you know, he sees a lot of people play football. And two weeks later, he's in his mate's barbershop in, in, a, in Hackney and the kid walks in and Ian's like, oh my God, you're the kid from Hackney Marshes why are you playing at that level? You're too good. And the yeah. kid's like, well, I took football really seriously and I went on all these trials, but the week before the trial, when I was younger, my dad died in an accident at work. So I went for all my trials, but I was so heartbroken. I didn't tell anyone that my dad had died and I was terrible and they never called me back and they were like, this kid's terrible. Why is he even coming here? Yeah. So all the big clubs turned me down. So I just kind of went and now I just play with my, my, my local church team and, and Ian's like, no, you've got to make it. You're good enough you're going to make it. And so Ian basically helps him. Ian helps him. Yeah. So the book is about that. That's the, that's the book that's coming out in September. Oh, wow. So how did he approach you to write it? Yeah. So we, we work on this, um, doing this podcast, Stadio. Yeah. And then I was also writing about politics as well. So Ian started following me on Twitter about my political yeah. stuff. So we get talking. And then about six months later, I was like, do you know what, Ian, um, I know you've been reading my stuff for a bit. Do you want to come on our podcast and talk about goal scoring? Because a lot of people talk, look at footballers as like just gossip and celebrity stuff. But we want to talk to you about the actual craft. Like scoring yeah. goals is like songwriting. It's, just, it's a technical skill. Yeah. And a lot of people don't talk to footballers in that way. They talk to them, they, they patronize them. I'm like, look, it's a skill set. Like these are, these are highly intelligent people. Yeah. Yeah. So we went and like, we broke it all down. And like, he really enjoyed that. We ended up working together and then like he got a podcast on the same network as us because they really liked what he was doing. Yeah. And now, alongside the podcast that I do, I'm a guest on his podcast once every two weeks. Oh wow. So that relationship built really well. We became really friendly. We became friends basically. And eventually his manager yeah. his manager was like, I want a book about Ian's life, but not a kind of normal biography because everyone knows his life story. Yeah. Let's do something a bit different. Let's do a children's book. So we kind of like came up with the concept together and then like I put the text together and that was it. Oh. Yeah. And Amazing. It, yeah, it all worked out beautifully. And like all yeah. these years of like fighting to get somewhere. If I look at the life that I've got now, I've got my writing career, my books coming out, my podcasts. Yeah. It's become the perfect life and the perfect career. And it's all led. 
all led to this. Yeah, it's all, all led to this. All led to this. And it's like, it's made yeah. it all worth it. If I look back at all yeah. the difficult years, I'm like, wow, it was, the journey was so hard. And yeah. it was very lonely, like, but it was worth yeah. it. Not completely lonely, because I had friends, yes. But there were times when, you know how it is, the, those moments of yeah. like, I'm never going to get anywhere. Yeah. Look at you now. Well, well I feel, it, <laughs> yeah, I feel, I feel like, absolutely, I feel like, if you said to me at the age of 13, this is what you're bidding at the age of 41, I'd be like, oh my God, that sounds incredible. Yeah. I'd be like, but what's a podcast? It's like, ha don't yeah. worry. Yeah. <laughs> don't worry. You'll find out. You'll learn. You'll learn. Oh. So yeah, it all kind I'm of, so happy. Thank you. But it all worked out. It all worked yeah. out. Amazing. What a journey. My God. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for coming on to talk to me all about it. My pleasure. My pleasure. Like, I'm, it's been lovely. And I'll do it. We'll do it again sometime. We'll do, we'll do another one like later on this yes. year when, when, the, when the book's out and everything. Yeah, definitely. So we just found out they're stocking it in Tesco. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I know. I know. Wow. Thank you so, 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 so much. It's been so lovely. And yeah, we'll definitely, we'll do another one when the book comes out. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Can't wait. Definitely. Oh, big love to you, Miss. Oh, and I'm going to post links, obviously, to everything you've done. Thank you so much. And the doing and the books and the podcasts. Thank you so much. All right. Lots of love. Till the next time. Bye. 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 Oh, I love Musa, and I'm going to see him. He's here next month. They're doing a book signing. Him and Ian Wright are doing a book signing um, in London. I think it's in East London in September. I think it's the 4th of September. Go to Musa's Twitter. Um, he's posted about it on there. Follow him anyway, because he's brilliant. 
Um, so yeah, you could go to that and meet him. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? He's lovely. But yeah, follow him on socials. I'll post everything in um, in the righty bits on the podcast and on my social media as well, Mum and Mama Pod on everything. Please subscribe to the podcast so you get it automatically. And yeah, check out the other episodes if this is your first time. As I said, I'm not usually this rambly or sounding this bummed up. Um, but yeah, I'm going to stop now because this has gone on for far too Work. long. But have a lovely week. Take care of Work. each other and yourselves. Big love to you all. And Work. see you next time. Bye. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.